Uh, delighted to have you here. Let's um, open in a word of prayer, and then we'll look at two scriptures, one from Isaiah and uh, the other from Matthew. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for the inspired word that we are to look at, written by human beings, just regular kind of folks, Lord, but one that you have infused with your spirit, called to write, called to have that prophetic voice, called to speak to our own hearts. So we ask that that would happen today. Lord, we're in a series on light, and we cannot help but reflect about that light in our own lives. So I pray that that will be evident in the study. I pray that as we look at at your word here, Lord, we'll think both about what was being said at the time, what's being said for us uh, personally, but also what is being said to our world right now and the things that are going on. How can we be that light, Lord? That, that's what we desire more than anything. So bless this time that we share in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so... Um, Isaiah, and if Lynn were here, I'd be going Isaiah, because that's the UK way that you say that, which is kind of fun, and I get so confused. So anyway, but we'll, we'll go with Isaiah for right now. Um, this, the section we're looking at, Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, is about the first uh, servant song. There are four in Isaiah that it starts, uh, this is the first part that starts in verse 42. It goes all the way to chapter 53. I encourage you afterwards if you want to read through those chapters, but just let me speak to them a little bit because it will set up this passage we're looking at. The first servant song tells of um, the call to the servant to bring justice to the nations. It begins first with Israel, but it's to all the nations. And justice is something that uh, is popular in certain circles and um, can be vexing in other circles. But the justice that God brings is a justice that is pure, that is unadulterated, that is um, brought for all the nations. And um, we're going to look at that this morning much more closely. The second song further defines the servant's mission. The servant is to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore and preserve um, Israel. God says, I will give you a light to the nations that you may be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And that's in chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. So you have the servant who brings justice. You have the servant who brings light to all the nations and restores people. The third is, um, describes the tenacious faith of the servant. And that's in chapters 50, or chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. He gives the servant a tongue to teach and encourage the people. And that's um, 50, verse 4. And God has given the servant an ear to hear and to hear the people. Why the servant experiences violent opposition, the Lord Yahweh will help me. So the servant sets his face like flint, fully confident that he will triumph over his adversaries. So that one kind of gets unpacked and you see what's going on, but he's, he's both um, an ear to hear God and to hear the people. And I love it because I think um, oftentimes we have a wonderful plan for somebody's life, but we've never listened to what maybe their needs are. 
And um, our ultimate plan is we know we need salvation, but it's so helpful when you know the person. And um, it's like, oh, I have the answer for you without really ever listening. You've heard this story before, but I think it's worth telling this. Um, you know, once a month you have one of our pastors that give the children's story, and for some of us that's um, easier. For others of us, we probably pray more about that than we do our 25-minute sermons because we think, boy, you've only got three or four minutes with the kids. It will not make sense. But the youth director came up, and he wants to share with the kids. And so he says, okay, kids, tell me who this is. It's a bushy um, little guy that has a, um, a big bushy tail. What am I talking about? All the kids are silent. It's like a bunch of kids up there. Nobody said anything. He goes, no, 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 you know this. You know this creature. It's, it's got a bushy tail, and it, and it runs around the tree, and it picks up acorns, and it, and it, and it eats those. Not a word from the kids. So he goes, no, 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 bushy tail, gray. You see them, they run up and down the, the tree. You know, the parks, you see them in the parks all the time. So this kid finally goes, You know, it sounds like a squirrel to me, but I know the answer is Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes I don't think we hear very well because we think we know what the answer is for somebody. But here's a servant of God that both hears God and hears the people. And even though they become... Um, adversaries to him, even though he sees a lot of violent oppression, he is not going to be silenced. He's going to listen, and he's going to speak. And then the last part is a suffering servant. This is the one we're most familiar with. It's the one we look at during Lent, leading up to Easter. And it um, begins in chapter 52, and it goes from 52.13 all the way to 53.12. And the suffering servant tells of a servant who will suffer on behalf of the people to redeem them from their sins and their suffering. The servant was pierced for our transgressions, and by his wounds we are healed. All that language, very poetic language. It also, we um, very much see and experience that as we read and um, embrace the life and work of Christ. And when we talk about what are Christ. What is the work that Christ did? It is that salvific work that without concern for the cost to himself, fully obedient on our behalf. So you have the suffering servant. As a lamb led to slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. Um, they made his grave with the wicked. By righteous servant, my righteous servant will justify many by knowledge of himself, and he will bear their iniquities. So the wicked is all those who sin, you know, where he's just been put in there. In Old Testament, if you were crucified, if you were put on a cross, you were condemned forever. So you were the worst of the worst. So Jesus is willing, the suffering servant that is told about and what they will do, especially in Matthew, because Matthew loves to bridge the two together. You're going to see all this language in here that we see in Isaiah. And so here are the four servants. Uh, the, the one servant, the four servant songs, let me make that perfectly clear. One servant, four servant songs. The one justice, the one who is um, to restore the people, the one who will speak, who will hear what God has to say, hear the people, 
and will still speak even when there is oppression and that which needs to be said and done will continue. And then the fourth song, The Suffering Servant, the one that we probably are most familiar with. Okay, now these go together. Today we're going to look at the servant that brings justice to the nation. So in saying that, let's look at our scripture. I'm going to begin with the first four verses. Here's my servant whom, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has enabled justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. So this big promise of what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. So let's look at this. Um, as I go to your notes that you have in front of you. There we go. So the first is the introduction of the servant who is chosen um, by the Lord and imbued with the Lord's spirit to bring justice to the nations. Here you go. Here is my servant whom I uphold. It would almost be like, behold, look, See, have your eyes on this person. Here is the person that I am upholding, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit in upon him. So here's the thing that we know in the Old Testament, just a reminder, the Holy Spirit comes and goes. The Holy Spirit is normally um, given to prophets. David, King David, said, please don't let your spirit depart from me. Why does he say that? Because the spirit would come and go. The spirit was on Saul. The spirit departed Saul, if you remember, because he was so disobedient. But here the spirit is upon this servant. So the servant truly is um, imbued with the spirit of God to bring the work of God to the people. And um, so he wants you to see that this is chosen and um, he gives the mission and assures the servant of his support. This is who God is bringing. He's not just a self-made, I think I can do this, let me do, you know, that's why we have elections. I really think I can do what needs to be done, vote for me and let me do this. This is a person who's anointed and brought by God to do the work that needs to be done. So you see first the superiority of God as a servant described in the first four verses. Everything that this servant does will be done perfectly and will be done differently than what we think about how justice necessarily is done. Um, the here and the behold emphasizes God's servant coming to help the servant's activities in the world. So it's, it's God working in and through the servant. And the language is one of presentation, such as you're presenting a king or someone of God's uh, particular anointment. Now, you're younger than the LaCosta Glenn group, I have to tell you, but I ask how many of those folks watched the coronation um, of Queen Elizabeth? Any of you around for that? There we go. This is like awesome. I wasn't around. <laughs> I kind of wish I was, but I wasn't around. I'll, I, God willing, will be around for the next one. Um, now, she is a different kind of uh, monarch. She um, has a prime minister, and they have a government and a parliament, everything else that's done. But there's something about the cir circumstance, you know, the pomp and circumstance that's brought into that when you have this person coming. And when you have that king, that was someone that everyone respected and they knew that, and had that particular 
is there someone behind me? No. Okay. And had that, I thought somebody waved and I thought, am I missing something? Okay. Um, you always worry about photobombs. I don't know about the rest of you, but if you're around millennials, they love photobombs. So they're always kind of putting that in there. Um, it is a particular commission, and kings were, um, they had established an order, a misspot. They had a job to do. And so when kings came in, and it's the language that, that is being used here to describe who the servant is. So now the first thing I should begin to give you a little ticklers. We don't think of kings. We don't think of monarchs. Um, even today, we don't think of leaders very much in a servant kind of position. We have an um, initiative here at church called Culture of Servant or, or Service or Servant Leader. And for some people, that's a non sequitur. <laughs> no, make, it's like jumbo shrimp. Make up your mind. You're either a servant or you're, you're a leader. But really, the best leaders of all are those who serve. It's a little bit different than what people might think of as a king, and yet that's going to be unwrapped here. Um, different than other rulers or kings will establish justice and will do those kinds of things, but has that servant mentality. So I'm just going to back up and tell you this little story. We uh, belong to a uh, wine club in our little Bird Rock community, and you get a growler. They have growlers of wine. They don't really bottle too many wines. They're growlers. They, most of the wines come from Napa or up in that area. I feel like I'm doing an advertisement. But um, it's right in our neighborhood. So we, we went there probably a couple years ago just to check it out. And I keep forgetting we're supposed to go every month because you get a monthly growler. I went there in January because I'd been there in a while and came home with eight growlers because I had forgotten to pick my growlers up. So but when we go, we really like it. And the main reason why is the owner. It's called LJ Wine and Spirits. And most of us would think that's La Jolla, but it's actually Lowell Yost. He's a South African, and it's his um, little company that he runs. And he's a very nice man. And one night, um, when we were first there, just kind of checking it out, he was there, and he introduced himself, and he belonged to the wine club. And, of course, you know, you all know you get discounts and stuff like that. Well, it was busy, and he has lots of, you know, employees, and they're really nice people and everybody. But somebody accidentally knocked off a, a water glass, a glass of water, and it fell on the floor and just broke into a thousand pieces, right? Very, very close to us. And immediately, there is somebody back there. Thank you. Gustavo is going to go see. We do have a few mice. It kind of sounds a little bigger than a mouse to me, but anyway. So um, the owner, Mr. Yost, goes to the back. He gets the broom. He gets the mop. He gets the pan. And he himself, without asking for any help from any of his employees, cleans it up. And Rick and I thought, you know, I think we want to belong to this place. Because here's a leader. Here's an owner. Here's the grand poopa who's not so grand that he cannot get down on his hands and knees, which is what it had required to clean up a mess. I was really impressed with that. I'm used to being in restaurants where they're like, eh, eh, you, go, you know, and they look really good, and they're not really, they look great, but they're not really engaged in the work. But here was a person, whatever needed to be done that would clean this up and get this going. I, I was impressed by that. I thought, wow, that's a servant leader. That's somebody that you would like. I just need to remember to go and pick up my wine. That's my brother. But anyway, it's a great place and a, good, and a good example. But this servant 
is different from the kings. The kings at the time were rulers. They, most of them had, we call iron hand, you know, kind of, or an iron glove. They were tough. They were, if you looked at um, a lot of the empires at the time, intimidation was the way that they did this. Um, oppression was how they ruled. That was their form of justice. That's how we make justice happen, is um, just you, kind of that tight grip on the people so that they don't get out of line. And how many movies have we seen about all that oppression and, and people wanting that justice? And so they, you know, they kind of, the, the vendetta movies, you know, where they kind of rise up and they bring that. But that's very different than the servant who's got kind of a, 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 in a real sense, the job of a king, the title of one who is fully in charge of everything that's going on. And so here's the language that you begin to look at. Um, Without brute force, he will not cry or lift his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So what you first think about is, you know, a leader who's going to, um, you know, have that presence, have that, you know, I'm going to yell my way into what I want and I'm going to tear down whatever's in my way to, in order to bring the justice that I'm trying to bring. Not this servant. Not necessary. They don't have to raise their voice. They don't have to break the reed. They don't have to put out wicks. They don't have to do anything violent. And I cannot help but think um, that civil rights, so there was violence, the people who were working for the civil rights in America did not take up arms. They learned how to walk into places that they had not been invited because of the color of their skin and to sit at the counter of coffee shops while people yelled at them, beat them, threw food on them, yelled at obscenities. That was a training they got. They didn't take up arms. They made a movement towards justice. We get that example not very often, but I can think of countries and nations that not out of great battles, but out of a work for doing what is right and what is just has changed the face of their country. We did with the civil rights. Not without difficulty, but certainly without going to war again. Okay. The oppressors, again, at this time, it is just so different. They are being addressed in this passage, and God will be bringing justice with, more, with not more oppression, but in humility, simplicity, and quietness. When we think about our leaders, all of our leaders, and do it throughout history, don't start picking, getting picky. Because, <laughs> you know, at, at the cross, the ground is level. We need to remember that. But oftentimes, we look at those who out of brute force or out of enough what we call good self-esteem to uh, get done what they need to get done. That's not the language used here. This servant is so in tune with what God wants him to do that they need not foist themselves onto the situation. Merely out of obedience, quietness, gentleness, humility, they're able to do so differently than what was being experienced at the time. It would give you pause. Okay. And then uh, lastly, the, the, in this section, the verse emphasizes 
emphasizes that the servant will bring justice. He will bring forth justice. He will establish justice on the earth, and the servant will put in place and establish justice on the earth. Look at verse 1. He will establish justice. Verse 3, um, he's going to bring justice. He'll bring forth justice. Verse 4, uh, he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. We are so one and done, society. Well, I did that once. Okay, I'm done with that one. It's almost like a bucket list of things to do. Well, I tried. It, it just didn't work. I couldn't reconcile myself. We're done. Well, this is not. He will not relent until justice is brought forward. So that's that servant of God that brings the justice. And justice is something that we as believers need to be about. And we need to look where is injustice happening. Sunday, you heard from uh, Stu Ross, who um, is with Outreach Foundation. He had the luncheon afterwards. And one of the things that they do is they rescue um, girls who are married as young. They had one girl they rescued who was about to be married at the age of 10. At 12 is not uncommon. Um, uh, they... Uh, Female genital mutilation is a huge problem in Kenya, and they rescue these girls from that because that is the just thing to do. They take them from their families, not violently, but they go in and they confront the injustice, and they protect these girls. We as Christians have to look at what's not just that's going on, and we don't have to go to Africa to do that. We don't have to go to India. We don't have to go to Malaysia. We don't have to go very far. But we need to speak that word that God calls us to be instruments of justice and to do it in the way that we have a model here, that we're trusting that it is a call of God and that God will work through us the way he works through his servant. Okay, let's uh, now look at the other verses, verses 5 through 9. Thus says the Lord, the God who created the heavens and earth and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. The language both I give my spirit to them and the spirit that is here is the ruach, which we saw in creation that a couple of weeks ago we talked about. So just a reminder, who's giving this order about the servant? Oh, the God of creator, the God who has it all together. This is just not one of the other gods of the time, this is the God, the one who creates, who sustains, who gives breath and life in all things. So uh, kind of a quick reminder, um, the word that is used here is the one, um, Hallel is the one used that brings life and calls a servant to be the renewal of creation. I think about Romans 8, how the Holy Spirit... Um, groans in travail for a new creation and that this is what the servant is bringing it's bringing back what god had intended it is that servant that is coming to do that work and then um in verse thus says the lord the god who created who gave earth verse six i am the lord i have called you in righteousness i have taken you by the hand and kept you i have given you as a covenant to the people a light to the nations. So the language, I, the Lord, in righteousness calls a service. It is what God is doing. It is the righteous God who makes the servant one in righteousness. So again, it's giving to the people of Israel 
language that they know. I, the Lord, they know that language. I'm the one who's doing this. This is not just, uh, you know, somebody else speaking. I am speaking through my servant um, who is writing this to tell you what is coming. I am going to do this. And out of righteousness, out of the things which have to be corrected, I'm doing this. And then he goes on to say, in the structure of this sentence, it is, um, the, I have called you in the righteousness, I've taken you by hand, and then verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you to them. So this is the work that God is going to do, and God is going to do it differently than what they've experienced before. He is at the right place at the right time and um, is um, going to be there for the people. The servant is not called to accomplish this work alone, but God holding the servant's hand, which I absolutely love this language, um, that will give it to them. So let's look back at this. Again at verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. So God is both leading the servant, servant but he also has us by hand. Now I, I mean it's nice, I love to see people hug each other, have their arm around each other. There is something to me so tender to watch people holding hands. And our culture is a, a little bit um, phobic now, so we really worry, and we worry about those things. But, you know, you go to different countries, men hold hands with men, women hold hands with women, um, moms and sons, fathers and daughters, boyfriends and girlfriends, husbands and wife. I think I told you, uh, we went to serve communion to a couple in our church, and she's now in the kingdom triumphant, and he, I don't think he could get there quickly enough, but the Lord has not yet called him to join by her side. But when we went to serve them communion, they're sitting next to each other, and as I begin to say the words of the institution, at, just simultaneously they reach over and they hold each other's hand. It was a holy moment. I felt like I was in the presence of a holy moment. They knew that God had taken them for their 72 years of marriage, and for ever many months or days or years they had left, God was going to be there, and they were in this together. That's what I'd love for you to see, that image, that we're in this together. God has us by his hand and is leading us and is taking care of us. This servant is not out on their own. The servant, everything the servant is doing, God has planned for the servant to do. God is very present with that. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, and again, that language of the covenant is so important, that promise. And for those folks hearing, I've given you that covenant. Here's where they're thinking right now. If you look back a little bit, and it talks about idols, and that's from the last chapter, that God is just making it clear. We're not like the other idols. We're differently than this. But a covenant people had given up. They thought, it, we're, we're too sinful. We've made too many mistakes. That promise of God has been lifted. It's no longer there. So here specifically, God is addressing the greatest fear. Now, I, you know me, I like to read and 
I like to listen to books on tape because I'm in my car a lot. I do all these things. Um, but a theme that is often there is uh, forgiveness or lack thereof. Uh, if you read the book Unbroken, which I recommend over the movie, um, he goes back to forgive the person who was so brutal. How do you do that? By first feeling forgiven yourself. Many people cannot forgive what they've done. Again, as pastors, as deacons, as elders, as just ministers of the priesthood of believer, you might be with somebody who said, oh, I've done so much wrong, God could never forgive me. You ever met somebody like that? I just, oh, I, this one thing in my life, or these 18 gazillion things in my life, um, God would never forgive me. That's exactly what Israel's thinking. So there's that language. That you're a covenant people. I have you covered because my servant is going to take care of it. I'm bringing my servant. So this is like great news. This is news that they would never anticipate. Almost as if, now here's the one time, when you're listening well to God, and when you know people well, then you can speak that. Not like it's, I know it's Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel. But really, you know what? God does love you, and God does forgive you. My brother died 12 years ago this month. And I remember going to see him. He was mean. Um, he was not a nice man. Um, but he's redeemable. And I just said, see, you were really mean to me when we were young, just in case you'd forgotten. <laughs> I haven't really forgotten this part. And I said, but you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. And God forgives you and loves you and wants that relationship with you. My brother had, his cancer had gone to his brain, so he was not able to speak, able to hear. And the look on his face was one of great relief. Sometimes we just need to say both what we're able to do, but more importantly, what God is able to do. And if God can forgive everyone, there's our second call, to do justly and to forgive freely because that's what God has done for us. Israel hasn't arrived. They have not turned that corner, but God is already making those promises to them. Let's be the people of light that brings forgiveness in the name of our Lord and Savior to other people. Okay. Here you go, I will open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. There you go. I'm going to bring you out into the light. I'm going to release you from those things that have oppressed you. I am doing this for you. There is the hope for a new covenant, one which invites even the Gentiles. Let's go on. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory I give to you, to no other place or my praise to idols. He goes on, For the former things have come to pass, new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And the language that um, I love used here is um, that along, 
in the in verse 4, if you go back, and the coastlines wait for his teaching. The coastlines are a reference to all nations, all the coast, you know, everywhere you go. If somebody has a coastline somewhere. All those nations are included. Everybody's going to be included in this. So it's that, it's that look again that, that the servant is more than just for Israel. He's for all of us. And I go back to the cross, folks. When Christ comes, he dies once for all. We're all in this together. We're all redeemed together. And that's the language that's used in uh, the scripture. It's used throughout the Old Testament. They were not really popular. It wasn't necessarily popular. It's kind of like being the firstborn child. I have a grandnephew who's just about three, cute as a button. Um, I've only met him once, but just, you know, I get all these photos. You know, you do this for great aunts. You send all these photos. Where's well, a new baby brother? A baby brother's just about a year old. You think he'd be over it by now. <laughs> yeah, so he's reverted. First, he, was, he became an animal so that he'd get all the attention of the animal. That wasn't really working well. He was not getting as much attention as he got before the baby came. So now he's decided he's going to be a baby himself so that mommy will give him all the attention that she used to give him before the baby came along. Uh, sometimes I think we're a little bit like that. Um, it might seem like, well, if we were Israel, no, we just, you know, it, like we're number one. We like being number one. Well, when Jesus comes, that playing field becomes equal because we're all in need. And God has made that promise. So there we go. We're all included into that. Whether we're the three-year-old or the one-year-old, it's all family. And there's enough love to go around. And my little grandnephew will figure that out very quickly over time. <laughs> Some of it takes longer than others, but he will figure that out. Okay. And again, God is able to do what the idols cannot. And the idols are talked about, if you want to go back and look later at the last part of um, chapter uh, 41, verse 10, um, you have the language of what's guiding him, but also the idols in the other chapters that are going there. So God has given the servant, let me just put this together, as a covenant to the people to bring them out of darkness into light. Uh, and I'm reminded of John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Light, no one comes to the Father but my me. I am bringing that to you. I am doing that for you. Uh, this is the good news for Israel, who thought the love of God and the covenant with God was over. So once again, um, there is a hope for a new covenant. And then he establishes the connection with the previous two chapters. God is able to do what idols cannot do. God alone transcends. God alone sets the course of history. And God alone gives a servant as a witness to the only God and Savior of all. Not just the Babylonians, or not just Israel, or not just Persians, or not just Americans, or not just whomever. God brings that for all people. And the language there is one of such inclusion that he wants them to remember. And that covenant has not gone. It's being fulfilled. And it's being fulfilled by the one God, the creator of all, who's able to do that. Okay? You're good? Questions? Okay, it's really interesting. You're a little bit quiet. Uh, Lacosta Glenn is a little quiet. And the men's group just talks why you teach. I mean, they make their comments and have it. So there you go. So I'm just checking, you know, just in case. I know they're a quiet group until we get there and then they just, you know, well, what about this? All right, here we go. Turn with me, please, to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 
verses 14 through 16. Now, it really begins in verse uh, 13, and I'm just going to read that so you can refer back to it when you have your small group. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Um, so there's, a, there's uh, the first verse of salt of the earth, what we're being called as believers. And Jesus is talking. This is the Beatitudes. And the, um, in Matthew, this is the first recording where Jesus is speaking publicly. He kind of goes with his disciples. And then as you begin to read and study this, all of a sudden there's more than just his little group of disciples around. There are lots of other people that are also listening in. But he's trying to teach those who are following him. And, uh, and the word that is used in the scripture, let's look at it. You are the light of the world. That is a plural word. And um, it means, how does Jack say this in the South? All y'all, all y'all, everybody, y'all there. This is inclusive of this. But oftentimes when we go to, oh, all of us, we forget it's also for us in particular. So um, we do it as who we, this is who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus. You are uh, the light of the world. And then a city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand and gives it light to all the nations. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now this we can unpack relatively quickly, but probably not in three minutes, maybe in six. Okay. Um, the word again is plural. It's used twice. It's used in verse 14 and 16, just so that we don't forget. If there's no other reason to come together, it's because that's how the community of faith has always been defined. It is more than you. It is called into community of faith. Both individually we know Jesus, but collectively we are that body. And as a body, we do things. This is who we are, not just who I am. Okay, so that you language is important in the plural there. Um, Jesus commissions these disciples, and they really are no big deal. So it's okay if you're not good enough, that you probably have that good, humble factor in you if you don't think you're good enough, because then you probably won't get in the way as much as everybody else who thinks, well, no, I've got all these great skills, and I can use them in really great ways. If you um, are infused with the light of Christ, you are more than capable. So I hope we stop doing that that says, oh, I'm just not good enough. Oh, I, don't, I can't really do this. Because God is empowering you to do what needs to be done and do it in ways that are very effective as God leads. So he commissions, and our disciples are such a good example of that. I wouldn't have picked them. I mean, honestly, I just wouldn't have picked them. They're fishermen. They're not really well-educated with maybe a couple of exceptions. Judas can count money and... Matthew can read well enough to collect taxes. And, you know, it's, if you're a rabbi, you learned how to read. Very little of the population reads. They're just not a big deal. They would not be the life of the party normally. <laughs> when you go to a party and you're like, whoa, who's there? Um, went to a political event one time and was meeting uh, someone who um, 
ended up in a high position, but I'm not a high roller. Anyway, so they're meeting me, but somebody walked in who is a high roller. And I never had my hand drop so quickly in my life, and someone moved past me so quickly. I was like, there's the person I need to speak with. We're not like that. We're every single one of us is important and effective and useful. So those, um, those disciples are, are uh, good for understanding and knowing that. It's to bring light into the world. He's expanding the light from the reference in 416, that which declares Jesus as light in, unto the nations. He wants us to be about everything out there. Now, it's interesting. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How many of you have read that book? C.S. Lewis. So that lampstand, is that not? That's the light, and that light always gives you hope, always gives you there. It's interesting because... Um, uh, Jesus really is that light upon that hill. And yet, if it's a lighthouse and it's only on the hill, you'll never make it safely into shore. And so Jesus, as the light on the hill, does come down and indwell us that we might be that light. But it has to shine, folks. And we have to say, boy, is my light shining. And there are certain people, John Wimber, who's gone to be with the Lord, he was a vineyard um, pastor, he started that um, church, still going strong. He really was just full of Holy Spirit. And his countenance was unbelievable. And he would say, you know, I'm just a fat man trying to get into heaven. But he goes, but I know the Holy Spirit is in me. And he goes, people just will come over and start talking to me. And um, total strangers... And if you saw him and knew him, you would see that. He's just like someone you just think, I could hang out with this person. What is it about this person? But he was so concerned that who Jesus was in his life was evident in who he was and what he did that he often did not even have to speak. Let that light shine through you. So Jesus is encouraging that. And he's using that example of light on a hill, bringing assurance that it's God working through us, not of our own efforts. So the light on the hill also be... Psalms 121, I read that before. I, um, my eyes look to the hills up. Where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord. So kind of the God above all, that's the light of God coming to be and indwell in us and that God is with us. And he wanted to assure him of that. And then he said the good works are to do God's work. And um, whatever we do, it should be directed in such a way that people see the Father and give the credit to God. We're just, you know, being used. What's that song? Just keep on using me to use me up. It's a horrible song, but that part of the song is good. <laughs> that part of the song is good because God used me. Let me be an instrument, you know, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, all those kinds of things. Use me, Lord, use me. And God is the one in us that makes it available. It's not our work, it's God working in us. And when they see good works, it's not so that we look good, it's so that God looks good. And Jesus wants to make that clear, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. What does that look like? How do we go about that? One is to always make sure, Lord, lead me. It's always helpful when we're about to do something. Lord, may you be leading me in my life. Um, Lord, may your light of Christ 
shine through me? What are ways that I could do that? So here's a simple, just a, a really simple way to do this. This really is, this light is about God. It's not about us. But how do we let God light in us shine? So um, it's flu season for some. I think it's allergy season for me. I, in my old age, I'm getting allergies. But you might be in the grocery line or something else, and the checker is still working, even though you can tell they have a cold or they're not feeling the best. Makes us use, you know, maybe that sterilized hand stuff. I live dangerously. I think, well, I'm not touching them. They're probably okay. But a lot of people have to go to work when they're not well. Lo and behold, uh, they need to work. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that or what you're doing in line, and they're very friendly, and they're asking you questions. And you might say, you know, you kind of like you may have a cold going on there. I'd, um, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to keep you in my prayers as I go about my day. I always ask permission because, number one, it engages them in conversation. You're not going to lay hands on them necessarily right there and pray for them um, because that is probably awkward for a lot of people. But if you just said, do you mind if throughout the day I just pray for you that you would feel better? I've never had anyone refuse me. But that says, number one, that I'm going to another source to try and help this person. So simple. If you've ever um, seen an accident on the road and the ambulance is not there, and people are flying by. And um, years ago, I was with the kids, and there was an accident on the side of the road. They had pulled over, and a man had gotten out of his car and was holding his elbow. And then there was a woman also out of the car, and they were both sitting down. It was a, in the dusk of the day. And I pulled over, and I just had um, really some ragtag clothes like that were not going anywhere but either to the dump or to... Goodwill, and um, but I had extra clothes, and so I just got out of the car and went over, and I just gave them some some stuff to keep them warm, and then you know the police were soon coming, everybody else, and I just said, I I'll be praying for you if that's okay, and um, they were mostly in shock. I <laughs> think they just kind of nodded, they didn't know what else to do, but there's just that presence, and trust me, if I see blood, I'm you know normally I'm the one who needs the blanket and the paramedics, but um, at that mo it's just seeing, are there needs out there that very, very simply we could be about doing? Just to say, I'll, I'll pray for you. Can I help you? Can I take that grocery bag? Um, can you let that little kid take your groceries and just say, God bless you for helping me? That's bringing light to that kid. That's showing, that's giving some dignity to other people. So it's not all about us just helping people. It's about letting people help and being grateful to God for that person who came to help you. How do we show that light to the world? Every day and in every way, but we do it intentionally. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, thank you for these ladies. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this phenomenal spread of food that they bring each week. May it nourish our bodies. May it give us energy and strength, Lord. And as they go to their small groups, help us to thank, Lord, what is it that we really need to do to bring first and foremost justice? What are we willing to give to bring justice? And who are we willing to be to bring your light in all areas of our life, both in justice, in our lifestyle, in our families, in our communities? Bless these ladies, Lord. 
Bless them. May they feel your presence today especially. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you all.